The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Welcome back to the Practical Shaman podcast, where we talk about all things shamanic, which really means just about everything that's related to community, health, um, nature, because shamans always lived with the idea that it was about sustaining the community, making sure their animals and livestock thrived, and you know, healing the soul of in the heart of the, the group. And today, there's the woman who is exemplifies that in her life and her work, and she works the land in Arizona. And I have a Darcy Deming today, and she's a, a Cherokee Matisse trained shaman whose footprints along the good red road led her to a cave on a sacred mountain where her recently published book, Sage Stone, The Magic Between the Worlds was born. On a trip to the sacred mountain several years ago, Darcy experienced an awakening that dramatically shifted her world, changing her perspective of life, the earth, and all of its inhabitants. Darcy owns a gallery in La Splendida in Tubac, Arizona, where her highly sought after artwork is displayed along an array of Native American and toxo jewelry, clothing, furniture, and home decor. So, uh, and she also, she also painted the cover of her new book. Do you have one there? Yes, I do. So why don't you show us the cover of that new book? And so when she couldn't find a cover design, which I know can be really challenging in my own work, although Hay House sent me the most beautiful cover, the first time I looked at it, I cried. Um, you took upon to paint your own. And my friends have encouraged me to paint my own wind cards, but with everything else going on, it's kind of how you find the time. How do you find the time? <laughs> That's a good question. It's um, fortunately enough for me, I have an employee at my gallery. So mm -hmm. I have the freedom. Um, I work there Saturdays and Sundays for my regular customers, but I have the freedom to wake up each morning and, and follow what I'm called to do each day. It may be writing, it may be walking the land, it may be painting, it may be playing with the dogs in the pool. It just depends on what I'm called to do that day. Some days I just lay down and Take a journey. Nice. So it, I, it's nice to have that freedom. It certainly is nice to have that freedom. Uh, my world intersects with a lot of other things going on, like a day job and all that other stuff. Um, and actually, one of our future podcasts, we're going to talk about that. How, as a healer, do you integrate a day job and all of, all of those other things? Uh, Carol Woodliff is going to speak to how she brings her sacredness to her, her work. And, and that means whatever that work is, you're called. Because we like to sometimes think that it's separate. Like, you like to go off to the caves. So tell us about the caves. Well, um, in this part of Arizona, there is a, very, a mountain that is very sacred to the Native American people. And it's believed by them to be the center of their universe. And living on a ranch uh, 60 miles from there, this mountain kept calling for years it kept calling and every drive in and out to the ranch the mountain was just calling me and so i knew it was someplace i had to go and i did a ton of research there are no directions you have to just find your way so a friend and i headed out on a november day and drove to the mountain and i knew there was a sacred cave on the mountain i had no idea how to get there 
and we arrived at the parking lot and looked all around and we both said, let's go this way. And we ended up on an animal track that we followed that carried us up towards the top of the mountain. Um, it was incredible because we passed through several portals. Um, we had several clues that would be very apparent to someone who's walked this path that were giving us messages along the way. Um, our first ceremony, I sat and spoke with the guardian of the mountain to get more information. But as we traveled up this mountain, we went through several veils. And the first veil literally put us in a environment that was very much like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> which was, I mean, it's, it's when, you first, when you first experience walking through different dimensions, it will literally blow your mind. Um, at the base of the mountain, it was a November day. Everything was dry, brown. There, were, there was no green vegetation anywhere. But when we passed the first veil, we actually stepped into um, an area where all the trees were green, flowers were in full bloom. Um, it was like being in a rainforest almost atmosphere and you could see each ray of the sun um so it was really transforming on a lot of levels very um, cool some of those people some some of you who aren't like close to a sacred mountain like that you might have noticed this type of experience like one time i was standing in a bank i was in the same line as other people and all of a sudden i felt like hmm i'm in a different i'm in a parallel universe to these other people who are in the bank and so it's kind of like one of those things. Uh, it's like we another upcoming uh, podcast you're going to hear is we did a sacred healing for children the other day. And all of a sudden I was seeing Candyland. But that would have been okay, but two or three other people saw Candyland before I even mentioned it. So we were all traveling to the same parallel universe. So what she's talking about is that we are one time and that you can almost step outside, you can step outside of time and then be in an, an, an alternate reality. Now, Darcy, this isn't new for you. Um, I, when I was reading your bio, you talked about having these kind of sacred experiences all your life and when you were a kid growing up in New York. So tell us about when you first started to notice, you know, other worlds and other, other kinds of things going on. I think the, the first inkling of it was when I was very, very small. Um, I grew up in a family with three older brothers, and I was the baby. So um, I was always competing for attention, but I also needed my own space. And we were fortunate to live on a 40-acre farm in upstate New York. And behind us was a wonderful woods with a stream and a waterfall. And I would go and literally disappear into that world. And I was fortunate enough that I had many friends in those woods as a child. And when I came home and I would talk about them, nobody shut me down. Nobody made fun of it. They just went, oh, so George was in the woods with you today or things like that. And it was that, that freedom to explore that other world that led me on the path that I've been on my whole life. Did you start writing back then? I mean, so, I mean, the book that you've written, the, the Sage Stone is, 
is for adolescents, well, adolescents and above, you know, everyone. I certainly enjoyed the parts that I've read. And they, um, so did you remember those memories or did you write them down or how did you, how did you get back into that childlike self for, for this book? Well, I've journaled all my life um, and I love to write, but, and I always thought, I always knew that someday I would write a book. But when I climbed that mountain that November day, um, we ended up um, at the mouth of a cave that is sacred to the indigenous people. And after doing ceremony and asking permission to enter, we went inside. And I do believe that when we went in that cave, we had reached the seventh dimension. It was a world beyond worlds. And when you, when you experience something like that, um, the interior of the cave was just adorned with gifts and, and offerings from the native people. But when you arrive in a place like that, you take the time to lay down and you journey because you want answers, you want, you want to find out more. And while I was journeying in that cave, um, the Apu came to me and he told me the name of the book that needed to be written to help not only children, but adults remember the old ways of connecting to the earth, of not losing the ceremony, of um, finding out your story from your elders before they're gone. You know, so many of us, we wait till our parents are on our deathbed, and then we start asking questions about our own history. Mm -hmm. and We've, we're losing our elders now and, and we're losing the stories and the traditions and I'm seeing a lot of problems happening even in the indigenous cultures because they're doing their rituals, they're going through the motions, but they're not so much doing ceremony anymore in the old ways. Um, but it was in that cave I was told the name of the book and when I left that cave I don't write like most people, you know, set up a plot and do all this stuff. Each chapter was told to me through that mountain. There's a lot, a lot for discussion there. Um, you know, you might want to write a, a blog piece or something on those seven dimensions for people who don't necessarily know all of, you know, the dimensional work. I know that um, my, my current era friend, Maria Teresa talks about going down seven levels when you do a soul retrieval uh, in, in her way, um, in the Mystica way. So, so I'm assuming you mean going seven dimensions up. Is that uh, what that you was mean? The, that was the sense that I got. Um, okay, all right. And it's very interesting because, you know, we think of caves as, you know, there's a hole you walk through or an opening you walk through. Um, this cave was very different in that it was a, a slit, um, almost a sideways uh, slit like that in the side of a mountain about two feet off the ground. And so you literally could not walk through it. You could not crawl through it. You literally had to turn on your side and shimmy with your shoulders and hips to get in and out of it which to me completely represented the birth canal. Hmm. You know, you were literally being birthed into Mother Earth, and when you came out, you were being birthed out again out of Mother Earth. It was a, 
it was a fascinating experience. So since you, since that first discovery of this cave, um, have you learned more about the history of what it was used for in, in earlier days or because as a historian, keeper of keeper of history, that's a curiosity. What do you have, do you know that or? Well, it's always been a sacred ceremonial site. Um, it's, it's believed that the creator of this indigenous tribe lives in this cave. Okay. And, I, and he does, and I have met him um, on one of my journeys there. I go up to the cave every solstice um, to do ceremony. Uh, they still continue to do ceremonial work there. And a lot of people from the tribe still travel there to offer their gifts and offerings to their creator. And so then how, how did you translate the, the, the learnings from the cave into your book? I understand this through the wind work because when the winds, I don't know for those of you who might not have known about the winds of spirit, but when the winds started to direct things, um, as you know, then you're more on, you know, wind time. I was laughing last night, I was taking a walk and, and the wind showed me the nature of the problem of this is that I'm selling the wind. <laughs> so like, you know, like, you know, what, what is, what's the biggest challenge here? Oh, you're selling the wind. <laughs> Are you getting a commission for this? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so it, that's kind of the way with sacred knowledge and, and information because, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the tribal people would consider me a white girl. I don't know what your, your background is, um, but that some of the information is coming to us and because the other ways are getting lost, even in, in, in Peru, you know, you go down through Cusco and your shamans all have cell phones and they're, it, it, this whole interweaving and interconnection is actually creating a lot of separation as well. And, and that, that's one of my, my concerns. And, you know, I also believe that all the information that we need is on the wind and we're going to get the information we need. But how did you start to translate what those teachings were into this first book? And then I know you're already working on the second book. So let's hear a little bit about that. Hmm. How did I translate it? Um, How's it come to you? How, how, how are you fed? I'm fed in the shower every morning. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a great one. I, I mean, the two times that a lot of my information comes through is in the shower and also those few moments between awake and asleep. Okay. Okay. When I'm laying in bed, I get a lot of downloads then. And also it's been really interesting the last couple months because I'm, or the last couple of years, I'm really finding that when I'm walking through my mundane parts of my life, um, they just come. And I, I respect it, I honor it, and I trust it. And it just feeds to me. Or, and if it stops, I just simply go, well, what if, and then it starts pouring in again. You know, like, what if Sage did this? And all the information just keeps pouring in. I'm always curious as people who write um, fiction books, like how they think about the whole story and the backstory and the side stories, you know. No, I never, I never had to do that. Um, I'm probably one of the strangest writers that ever lived because I didn't write the first chapter, the second chapter. The chapters came and then they were just woven together. Um, so each was a standalone chapter? 
it, it was in the very beginning. And I'm trusting that process as I write the second book. I've written three or four chapters and I know none of them are the first chapter. So I'm going, okay, guys, what do you, how do you want to start this? I was excited because um, Sage Stone won June's um, best first line in a fiction. It's a great um, opening line. What is it? Am I dead? Oh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great one. Am I dead? Hmm. And you <laughs> might be, for some of you listening, you might feel like you're walking around dead. And, and that's a real, a real problem, especially a lot of times the clients who find me come because, you know, I do deep soul work and I don't have a lot of clients, but I have clients who are ready to wake up and wake yeah. up in that dead state. So um, am I dead? Hmm. We could well, sit with that one a while. And that, you know, it's interesting. You touched on a couple um, exciting points for me because I'm looking at starting to do some podcasts myself and some um, live videos. And some of the things I want to touch on is, you know, let's put this technology down for a day. What would happen in your life if you put all your technology in a box for a day and you took your family or your dog and you just went outside? I don't care where you go or what you do, but go out and explore and open yourself back up. I'm finding myself spending way too much time in front of this technology and it's damaging the opportunities that I have to grow through the messages that they're trying to send me. Um, I shared with Lori Lothian the other day, I had an interview on Zoom and after it was over, all my tabs were closed on my computer and my volume was all the way up and I had breathing coming through my speaker and my computer. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Um, and, but I think it's time for us to turn off the technology at least one day a week um, and reconnect with who we really are. And I, I don't think you can do that with a cell phone in your pocket. Well, I think that... You know, that's very ambitious. Um, I sometimes tell my clients to turn it off for five minutes, you know, to start where you're at and work that up because we're so, we're so tuned in to, you know, I've got two phones and my podcasting stuff. So sometimes it's a matter of last night for me, uh, I felt like, okay, I really need to decharge. I sat with this big fat black rock in my hand for like 20 minutes and that and that was enough so you know a whole day is a, a is a great thing if you can get away and do that but if you can't don't feel like you can't start by chunking it down to a 30 minute time frame i sure. mean so just you know just because look at your on one hand you're going to be doing more podcasting and then you're gonna to have to get out and for that whole day so i think i think we're at, at an interesting time because like one of the things that I noticed from the ceremony we did the other day was how powerful it was connected through the wind of people who are all over the world. And so I think that we can't necessarily go backwards in time that we're, we're here where we're at now. So tell us, but beyond that, so why, and taking a time out to read your book, why, tell us about why people should pick up your book, show them the book again, and, you know, before we run time here, that we are on this time-space thing. All right. So tell well, us what your book's about. Well, it's about two Na Native American twins who are the grandchildren of the medicine man of the tribe, and 
they learned several lessons along their way. Um, they have lost their father the year before um, in a way that nobody really understood how or why. Um, there's good versus evil. Um, there's life lessons. There's the growing of Sage through the novel. Um, you know, he's, he's your typical little nine-year-old boy in the beginning who's, you know, stumbling through life like a nine-year-old boy. And um, due to a lot of adventurous kind of things, he steps up and steps into the role of learning the shamanic way and learning how to protect himself and learning to honor the important things in life. But the sister has a lot of the power too, which I kind of yeah. really resonated with in the book a lot. Yeah, it was really interesting when I wrote the book. Um, originally, she was going to be your typical meddlesome, annoying little sister. And I realized that, you know, little girls, they need someone to look up to. And she, as the book evolved, she really developed into this dynamic character that mm -hmm. um that stands by her history and stands by her beliefs even at a young age and and kind of integrates the tools that she's given even more powerfully than sage at times that's great yeah it seemed like that she was going to have a lot of influence in that area as she went forward yeah so where whoops where can people re reach you? How, how do people find you if they're not in Tubac? Um, I have my own website, DarcyDeming.com. Um, I have I'm on Facebook at um, Keeper of the Sage or at DarcyDeming1 on Facebook. Uh, those are my two main places. I'm at Twitter, at DemingDarcy. Um, you, can, you can find me just about anywhere tromping around the web. Tromping around the web and tromping about, but they won't find you at the sacred mountain. It sounds like it sounds like it's 60 miles out in the middle of nowhere. And well, and in the second book, we're going to go, there are several sacred places around this area. And um, in, in book two, you're going to learn about a star temple we have here that was actually destroyed uh, many, many, many years ago by the dark forces. So and what's I, a star I, temple? Well, a star temple was a place where there was usually a crystal orb on an altar. Okay. And, and it was a way to channel energy around the world with these star temples. So and there was a, like a telephone of star temples around the, the, the absolutely, world? Absolutely. You know, because it was interesting that one of the Pacos from Peru, the, he was a Kuriak, a Kuyak. And, you know, one time he hiked down to the village, it took him three or four days to meet the shaman. And he goes, well, you know, how did you know I was coming? You know, there's no telephones. There wasn't. They probably do have cell coverage there now. And he said, the, the river told me. Yes. You know, the, the star people told me you were coming. And we're so out of touch with that. So give us, we, we don't have a whole lot of time left. So give us one way that somebody could go outside and start to find a connection with the stars or the land because I know you do a lot of land walking just I one do. a simple one a simple one yeah sure um, so I I am usually directed where I'm going and I have no idea where I'm going 
um, how to tell someone to do that, I honestly can't tell you, Brene, um, except follow your heart. If you step outside and, and you're, well, I can give you an example. There's a, a canyon not far from the house um, and it has very unusual magnetic shifts across the canyon, just like in the book. It right. talks about that canyon and, and it does exist. And as you walk up this canyon, you're going through several veils. And it's just like in that canyon, it, it forks and you can, you can make a choice. Now, are you going to follow that left fork and that feminine energy, that mother energy, or are you going to go to the right and follow that male energy, you know? And in this one canyon, as you travel up either side, you're going to hit a roadblock and you're going to feel like, oh, I can't go on. Well, in that canyon here, we call it the canyon of truth or consequences, because when you hit that veil, you have no choice but to sit down and work with it. That's great. And work with your internal issues. I mean, I sat in that canyon the first time I went there with, with my shaman teacher, and I wept for three and a half hours. And it was a clearing canyon of self. That's great. Yeah. I had a client today who lives in New York City. I told her to go out and stand underneath the rain. Yes. So sometimes it can be just as simple as moving from one spot to the next to change that perspective. Yes. Well, we're just about out of time here, but we'll have to have Darcy come back. And she's actually on an earlier uh, segment of my, before it was really called the Practical Shaman Podcast, teaching you how to name your wind whistle, which I think I'd have one here. But make sure you get my book, Winds of Spirit, and Darcy's book, The Stage Stone, and join us uh, weekly here at the Practical Shaman Podcast. And we want to thank you, Darcy, for being here today. And for, for following your truth. I mean, I, I highly so respect that you follow your truth and take it wherever it might lead and looking forward to seeing with you where that is. Thank you, Renee. It was great to be here and I honored what you're doing with the wind. And, you know, when we were up on the mountain on the summer solstice, I did a wind whistle ceremony and carried the, the wind clan and you and everybody in that group into the cave with us on that. And that journey was really about a gift being given back to me for doing what the mountain asked me to do. That's so important. You know, we do get rewarded when we follow our true, true, uh, our, our magnetic Norse. And so keep, keep following that place in your heart that leads you on. And everyone at home too, thank you for listening. And we'll see you, we'll see and hear you next week at the Practical Shaman Podcast.